we've been working through for the last several weeks now, and it's called The Two Halves of Life. And really in the sermon series, if you've missed it or if you just kind of forgotten, which is it's easy to do, that there's kind of this map that our life typically goes along. There's a shape that our life typically takes. And we see this described to us by Jesus in the very last chapter of the Gospel of John. And he talks about how when you're younger, kind of your life is about your own self-direction. It's about creating your own sense of identity, about building out a life for yourself. It's really uh, this struggle to get our life together. And then there's something that happens around middle age-ish. depends on each person, but there's this evolution. There's this transformation. There's this shift that begins to take place where the things that we used to live for, the meaning that we used to derive out of the pursuit of creating our own identity and building kind of the, the framework of our life, it, it stops being as meaningful as it once was. And so we start to begin to search for a deeper meaning, for more significance in our own life. And this is kind of what is described as the second half of life. And so this is kind of this idea of this kind of stage theory for our life and the shape that it can take. And kind of modern psychologist Carl Jung described this as kind of the two halves of life, which is where we get the title. But one of the things that he says is that the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. And I think for all of us, whether we're conscious of this kind of pursuit or not, this is really kind of the journey that we're all on. Whether you are being confirmed here this morning or you have uh, been confirmed a long time ago, we're all in some type of pursuit to try to figure out who we really are. And for some of us, we thought we had an idea and we kind of begin to build that life and in some way that life maybe didn't live up to the expectations or the hopes that we had about that type of identity, the way that we could find ourselves according to these you know, details of our life, according to these specifics. And so we begin to kind of pursue deeper meanings, deeper identities. But really, this is the journey that we're all on. We're just at a different stage in the journey of trying to wrestle with and identify and figure out who are we really. This is also what makes movies and books really interesting. If you look at kind of some of the more famous stories or movies, this is what you see marked out across this story, is this character arc, this development of wrestling with an identity, of struggling to understand who this character is or who they're supposed to be kind of in the grand scheme of life. So take, for example, classically Star Wars, whether you want to do kind of the traditional original Star Wars with Luke Skywalker or you want to kind of look at the new movies with Rey, both of those character arcs wrestle with this sense of identity. Who am I? They're both confused as to who they really are. There, there's some ignorance and understanding of their true identity kind of in the grand scheme of things, in the totality of things. And so these movies map out their wrestling with, their development, their discovery of, and then them living into their truer, deeper identity. We also see this in kind of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You take any of the Marvel heroes, and what you see with them is them kind of working to understand what it means to be who they're called to be. The same is with the Disney movies, like in The Lion King. You have this kind of small cub, Simba, who the story of Simba's life is this wrestling to understand who Simba is called to be. And it results in Simba kind of recognizing his own identity and going back to kind of save the kingdom. This is the story across almost every hero journey, is this uncertainty around identity, this struggle to figure out who you are in the world, this wrestling with this, 
and then this discovery of who you're called to be and this deeper journey that that takes you on. Well, this is the same that's true for our lives. And so what I want us to look at this morning to figure out how we begin to move into the second half of life is to look at the story of somebody else's journey. Because the way that this works is not that I can give you kind of a prescription of how to get to the second half of life. The second half of life where we live with a deeper sense of significance and purpose and meaning, where our lives are more generative and others focused. I can't just say if you do these five things, you know, here's the 10 steps that you need to take. It doesn't work like that. It's not prescriptive. Because it's not something that you can achieve and acquire and pursue externally. It's about an inward transformation that takes place. And this is really the point of the whole series. There is a level of spiritual formation that should happen, that can happen in our lives, that leads to deep change, to meaningful transformation. And ultimately, it's what we believe as people of faith that leads to a life of true significance and fulfillment and purpose when the writers of the gospel talk about eternal life, this is, this is that essence, this is that character and quality of life that they're describing. So how do you get there? Well, it's not just by accomplishing a series of checklists. It's not about doing a bunch of a right things and avoiding a bunch of wrong things, but it's about a formation, it's about a maturity, it's about some inner transformation that takes place kind of on the soul level. This is really the job of the church, and this is why we want you to come week after week, because this is the process and the journey that we're all on together. And so for our time together this morning, I want to look at a story that we started with in the very first uh, week of this series. And what we looked at was this last chapter in the Gospel of John and this conversation that takes place between Jesus and Peter. And what we see in this conversation is Jesus tells Peter that there are basically two halves of life. And it's kind of the last conversation that they have together, and then the Gospel of John abruptly ends. But right before this conversation between Jesus and Peter, there's a slightly more expanded encounter uh, that Peter and Jesus have together. And I want to look at that this morning together. So we're at the beginning of the 21st chapter in the Gospel of John. And what we need to know about this is this happens right after Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, death and resurrection. This is kind of this moment where everything changes in the disciples' world. We kind of have to revisit kind of the story that their life went on. They're just average, ordinary fishermen, a lot of them, Peter in particular. So probably wasn't highly educated. And then all of a sudden, this wandering teacher, this wandering rabbi named Jesus, kind of invites Peter onto a journey to follow him, to become more like this rabbi. And it totally changes the trajectory of Peter's life. Peter walks away from what was familiar from kind of life as he knew it to begin this journey of kind of deeper transformation and discovery, being one of the disciples, one of the followers of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus gets arrested. He gets killed, and their whole world falls apart. And then Jesus somehow miraculously is resurrected three days later, appears to the disciples, and then disappears again. So you can imagine if you're Peter, you're really confused in this moment. You are struggling to understand what to do next in your life, kind of where you find yourself at this crossroads, so to speak. Maybe you're still deeply troubled by what you experience. Similar to what we talked about last week, these moments of suffering, these moments of difficulty and struggle in our life create opportunities to move towards a place of new transformation, a new identity. And this is what we see happen to Peter. And, but it's not always obvious. 
These invitations to go on to a deeper journey, to continue in a deeper place, they're not always obvious to us. And so as we walk through Peter's story, I want to point out maybe some of the characteristics of these invitations so that we can identify them in our own life. Because we got to kind of address the elephant in the room a little bit. Uh, I'm a 37-year-old pastor, so I'm not going to be able to tell you how to get to the second half of life because I'm not there. So it's kind of like the blind leading the blind a little bit. So for some of you who are kind of older than me, you're like, what has he got to teach me? It's a great question. It's one I've been wrestling with all week. But thankfully, we have something wiser than me, and we can look to Scripture to kind of identify some of these characteristics of the invitations that we see to go into a deeper phase of life. One of the things we have to recognize, too, is the second half of life is, is a concept. It's an idea. It's not like there's a doorway that you walk through and all of a sudden everything magically changes. All of a sudden, you know, your wrinkles fade and you walk a little bit taller and brighter. You've lost 15 pounds. This is, it's not some magical transformation that happens when you enter the second half of life. It's this slow, you know, shift and evolution of priorities, of values, of the ways that you want to spend your time and your efforts and your energies. It's a, a shift in understanding what truly matters in life. And it doesn't happen overnight. Just like parents, you recognize that the place that your students are on in their journey as they're being confirmed today is just a moment in time. There's not a magical shift that's going to happen in their life by making this choice, by making this decision to follow after Jesus. But it starts them on a journey, a journey that we are still all on. And it's a journey that continues to lead us into a deeper place, into a fuller identity of who we are created to be. So let's look at Peter's story, and hopefully it will help us identify some of these characteristics of this journey. Now, here's what it says. It says, gathered together were Simon Peter and the other disciples, and they were gathered in this place kind of by the Sea of Galilee. And what Simon Peter says to him, to the other disciples, he says, listen, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. Now, this makes a lot of sense to me, and it seems like a strange detail, but in the Gospel of John, no detail is irrelevant or insignificant. If you've spent your whole life being a fisherman, if your father was a fisherman and your grandfather was a fisherman and all you've ever known is fishing, and then you had this momentary kind of hiatus and interruption where you followed this guy named Jesus, and then he disappears, what are you going to do next? You're going to go back to what's familiar, You're going to go back to what is comfortable, what feels safe, this normal routine of everyday life. And this is one of the things that I think is interesting when we we find ourselves at these moments of kind of crossroad and transition. At some point in our pursuit of building our identity and building our life, we start to wrestle with a sense of uncertainty about, is this really all that there is? Maybe you've climbed the ladder of success and you get to the top and you're like, oh, this feels far less meaningful than I thought it was going to be. I thought there was going to be some lasting change. I've accomplished something. There's this great aha moment and my life is forever different because I accomplished all that I ever set out to. And you get to the top and you realize that's not the case, that there has to be something more to this than just this pursuit because it doesn't leave you with that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. The same with, you know, if you're going through life and there's some significant transition some tragedy or some change in your life and you are left reeling wondering how did this happen this is not what the plan was you realize that the way that you thought your life was going to go no longer looks the way that it's gone and so it leaves you at this crossroads this is the same crossroads that Peter and the disciples find themselves at and so the tendency is just to go back to what's familiar the tendency is to go back to what's comfortable 
But to do that is to miss the opportunity into a deeper journey with Jesus. And so these disciples decide that they're going to go fishing. And it says that they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And I think this is one of the characteristics of these invitations into a deeper journey is the old way stops working. The old way stops satisfying. The old way stops being significant and meaningful in the way that it used to. There's, there's some incongruence with the way that you used to live and the effects of that life upon you now. You begin to go back to your job the way that you used to and all of a sudden it's lost the, the motivation. It's lost the inspiration in yourself. You, you spend time with friends and the, the conversations no longer feel as satisfying or as meaningful or as energizing as they used to. You start to wonder what has changed. You can't name it or pinpoint it yet, but life as you used to know it no longer feels the way that it used to. And I think this is one of the characteristics of this, these moments of change and growth that invite us into a deeper journey. There's an author and poet named Alice Walker, and she describes kind of this period of growth and this period of transition probably far better than I can. This is what she says. She says, some periods of our growth are so confusing that we don't even recognize that growth is happening. We may feel hostile or angry or weepy and hysterical, or we may feel depressed. It would never occur to us, unless we stumbled upon a book or a person who explained it to us, that we were in fact in the process of change, of actually becoming larger than we were before. This is this place that Peter finds himself, and I think it's often for us the places that we find ourselves. But no one's ever named them as such. Life doesn't feel like it used to, it feels confusing in a way that we've never experienced before. And oftentimes the conclusion that we come to is that we've done something wrong or that there's something missing or lacking. And we, we kind of often go on this search and this discovery for what feels like it's missing. I think this is kind of classically identified oftentimes in movies and stories. It's like the midlife crisis. This is when people often have significant life changes. They buy the little red sports car because they're at this crossroads where life stops working the way that it used to they're undergoing some change. There's this invitation to a deeper journey, but they haven't been able to identify it as such. And so they kind of go off trying to pursue the way that they used to in a new way, a second adolescence, so to speak. But Alice goes on and she says, but what is most, whenever we grow, excuse me, whenever we grow, we tend to feel it. Like a young seed must feel the weight and inertia of the earth as it seeks to break out of its shell on its way to becoming a plant. Often this feeling is anything but pleasant. But what is most unpleasant is the not knowing what is happening. These long periods when something inside ourselves seems to be waiting, holding its breath, unsure about what the next step should be. For it is in those periods that we realize that we are being prepared for the next phase of our life. There's this moment that happens where there's this kind of dissatisfaction about how life goes that we're invited into a similar journey to a deeper understanding of who we're called to be. This was similar to some of the, to my own story, my own journey. Um, I didn't expect to be a pastor. I don't know if that surprises anybody, but 
And I don't know why that's funny, but I didn't, expect, I didn't expect to be a pastor. It was never the plan for my life. I don't know if you kind of assume that pastors grow up always wanting to be pastors. That was not my case at all. It was kind of the last thing I ever thought I wanted to be. Um, not because I had anything against pastors. It just kind of didn't seem like on the menu of options for my life. And then when I felt God's call to ministry, I kind of jumped in with you know, both feet, and I was really excited about it. And so I enrolled in seminary. And I was in seminary for a year and a half, and then I kind of got, to, I think, to a place uh, similar to where Peter experiences, where you start to kind of wrestle and wonder, like, if, if you've made the right choices in your life. Like, is this really what this is supposed to look like? And I started to doubt and feel a lot of uncertainty about whether or not I was ready for this deeper journey. I didn't really understand exactly what it would entail. I didn't understand exactly what God was calling me to, and and so there was a lot of fear and kind of hesitation on my part. And so uh, I, I once was, for about eight years, a seminary dropout. Um, I'm no longer, but I was because I wasn't sure how to move forward. I came to this crossroad, and instead of trusting and going on this deeper journey, I just kind of pulled the eject kind of cord, and I was like, I'm out of this. I just I don't know if this is what's right for me. And those eight years were kind of a period of wrestling and wondering and struggling and searching to try to figure out, like, is this actually what I'm, what I'm called to do? Is this what I'm called to be? Because there was a lot of doubt about, like, okay, like, really, me? Like, I don't know that, God, you know the story. Like, <laughs> are you sure that I'm the one that you want up there? And, and that still feels true in a lot of ways. But I think what I see out of this story for Peter that's comforting to me is that you don't have to trust your own sense. You don't have to trust your own understanding, your own conviction and confidence about the journey ahead because it is confusing. It is uncertain. It's not obvious. If it was obvious, then we wouldn't have any of these existential crises that we do as people. We wouldn't wrestle with who we are and who we're supposed to be and why does this part of my life not feel like it matches the rest of my life. All of these questions that keep us awake at night that we wrestle with and wonder about you know, the same things that we project onto our children because we have those same anxieties and concerns about how their life's going to turn out. We don't have to navigate this alone, and this is what I see in Peter's story that's so comforting. Because in the middle of the night, they go back to what's familiar. They're struggling at this crossroads. They're not catching any fish. Life's not working. And then this is what John says. Just after daybreak, and the contrast between light and darkness is not accidental. There's an obvious illumination, a revelation that happens in Peter's life in this moment. Just after daybreak, the sun comes up. He can see differently than he did before. And Jesus is standing on the beach. But the disciples at the moment didn't recognize that it was Jesus. I think one of the things about these invitations into a deeper journey in our life is we're not always sure where they lead us. We're not always sure that it's Jesus on the beach. It feels a little uncertain and a little scary, and so we don't know whether or not to trust it. But Peter, kind of being the archetypal disciple, the one that we're supposed to see ourselves in, he gets conviction that it's Jesus, and so he dives into the water and he swims ashore. And this is what we see happen next. It says, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire with fish on it and some bread. And I think what I love about this idea of a charcoal fire is the only other time that a charcoal fire is mentioned in Scripture is about four chapters earlier in the Gospel of John. And a charcoal fire was what Peter was standing next to warming himself when he denied Jesus three times. 
And so what we see John doing is he sees this moment where he closes the loop. There's this moment of redemption in Peter's story where the moment of greatest shame, the moment of greatest regret, the moment of kind of greatest disappointment in Peter's life where he denies Jesus three times is redeemed in a way by God to be a transition into a new and deeper journey. I think what often gets forgotten as we read scripture and as we think about our own faith journeys is we think that God uses perfect people. And so we realize that, well, we're, di- we're excluded from that. We, we kind of self-select out. This was what happened to me in my faith journey. This is what happened to me when I was struggling to be a pastor. Was I was like, well, clearly imperfect, so God can't use me. But what I love about this in Peter's story is this is actually the moment where Peter's going to experience some transition. So there are opportunities in our life journey where our biggest mistakes can be leveraged by God to be these launch pads into a deeper journey of our life. The regrets, the shame, the guilt that we carry, they're not without purpose. They're not irredeemable. God uses these things to lead us into a deeper journey with him. And this is what we see happen in Peter's story. Jesus could have maybe built any kind of fire. It could have been wood, I don't know, propane. I don't know what they had back then. But he builds a charcoal fire as a reminder to Peter. And this is this conversation what happens next around this, around this fire that uh, I think is so beautiful. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus, he says to Peter, Simon, son of John. Now, again, one of these details that's not insignificant. For the last 15 chapters, we've known Simon, son of John, as Peter. This is a name that Jesus bestows upon Peter to confer a new identity. The story behind that was Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Jesus is trying to ask them, okay, do you understand who I am and what this is all about? And Peter's the one that speaks up and says, Lord, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, upon this rock I will build my church. And he gives him a new name, he gives him a new identity. He says, Simon, son of John, you will now be called Peter. But then in this moment, the author identifies Peter as Peter. But Jesus calls him by his old name, by his old identity. Why would he do that? It's because he's preparing Peter to make a choice. And this is what we see happen next. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these things? We don't exactly know what these things were. Jesus probably swept his hand across something, and we don't really know what he was referring to, but kind of best guess is kind of this old way of living, this kind of familiarity of kind of this heritage of being a fisherman, of Peter's old identity, being Simon, son of John. John, who was a fisherman, who was the son of a fisherman, who was the son of a fisherman, says, listen, Peter, who you were is coming to an end. Are you ready to embark on a new journey, a deeper journey into your true identity? Your identity is Peter, not as Simon, son of John. Are you willing to walk away from the familiarity, from the safety, from the comfort of all of the things that you used to stake your identity upon? Are you willing to walk away from all of the titles, all of the achievements, all of the success, all of the indicators of status or popularity, all of the ways that you used to define yourself that we spend the first half of our life constructing? Are you... Do you love me more than these things? Are you willing to begin to find your identity in something else, something greater, 
something more significant than the ways that the world teaches us to identify ourselves. And this is the question that Jesus offers Peter. And so he, Peter responds and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, take care of my sheep. And they repeat this three times in perfect mimicry and symmetry to the three times that Peter denied Jesus around the first charcoal fire. What I love about this is there's closure in this regret, there's closure in this shame, there's closure in this wound for Peter and an invitation into the deeper journey with Jesus. And this deeper journey that we see into a new identity, into the life of Peter is one based on an imitation of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives Peter not only a new name, but a new purpose and a new identity. Peter had spent his life as a fisherman. And what does Jesus invite him into now? That of a shepherd, which is how Jesus identifies himself. He says, Peter, are you willing to take care of my sheep? Peter says, I am. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes. He's like, if you love me, take care of my sheep. It may be obvious or feel obvious in a church that The journey into the second half of life is a journey that bears resemblance to Jesus. But I think it's one that's often overlooked. We think that we have to maybe start to grow out our hair and wear robes and maybe sell our possessions and move to, you know, a foreign country. We kind of jump to these kind of extreme conclusions, but I I don't think that's what it means for us. I think this invitation into the second half of life is about letting go of the ways that we used to define ourselves, the way that we used to construct our identity and to build our sense of understanding and who we are and begin to build it in imitation of Jesus. Are we taking care of the people around us? Are we serving others? Are we treating others as better than ourselves? Are we generous in giving? Are we self-sacrificing? This is the invitation that Jesus calls Peter into that we started this whole story with. He says it like this. He says, I tell you, when you're younger, you fastened your own belt and you went wherever you want. Your life was on your own terms. You constructed it and built it based on your own interests and your own desires. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. This is the journey of discipleship, to willingly go where you don't want to go. When you think about the great people of faith throughout history and even in your own lives, I think this is the characteristic and quality that we see them, you know, and we can identify in them is a willingness to let go of their life, to go where they don't want to go. Jesus says it in the Gospels. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. There is this death that we have to be led to in the second half of life. And it's not one that the world talks about, but it's one that we get to embark on here as people of faith. It's a journey into imitation to pattern our lives around the shepherd, to begin to look for ways that we can live an example of him, to take care of his sheep. And then Jesus ends this whole encounter with Peter, this whole story, and he just invites him to follow. He doesn't say, all right, now do all of these things. He doesn't say, all right, make sure you don't ever make a mistake again in your life. He doesn't say, all right, you have to renounce all of your possessions and you know, move to Bangladesh. This, this isn't what Jesus says to him. He looks at him and he extends an invitation to follow him. It's the same invitation that here in a moment after this service concludes and we begin our confirmation ceremony, it's the same invitation that we offer these confirmands and it's the same invitation that extends to each one of us every single day. It's an invitation into a deeper journey in this life. 
not one based on external significance, external value, external identity, but a deeper journey, a journey on the soul level, one that leads us into the example of Jesus Christ. And so each morning, each day, each moment, we're extended this opportunity to follow him. And the question remains before us, will you? It's my prayer and hope that we will. Let me pray for our time together this morning. Gracious Lord, it is in these moments before you that we are reminded of your love for us. The way that no matter where our story goes, you redeem it. And you continue to offer us invitation into a deeper journey in relationship with you. None of us are too far gone. None of us are too irredeemable. You are willing and desire to be in relationship with each one of us, God. And we're grateful for that love and the grace that works in our lives. God, help us to make the choice to follow you, to begin to lead and live lives of deeper significance, finding our identity, not in what we can accomplish, but in what you have already accomplished. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.